It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Jackson Gatlin here, host of the Monday edition Locked On NBA podcast. Every Monday, I cover the three biggest stories in the NBA with the local experts from Locked On. It's an awesome recap of the weekend of the NBA and a look at what's ahead. Mark your calendars on Monday to join me for Locked On NBA podcast, available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. One for three. One for three or yeah, one and that's two? That's what I meant. One for three. Oh, one for three. Yeah, that's what I meant. <laughs> USC, baby. Hey, what's up? Welcome to episode number 699 of Locked on Raptors for Thursday, April the 9th. I'm your host, Sean Woodley at RaptorsHQ.com. You can find me on Twitter as always at WoodleySean. You can find the show at Locked on Raptors. We can find links to every single episode of the podcast. And of course, please make sure you're checking out the Locked on Podcast Network. We've got just about every team in all the big four sports plus the NCAA covered for you. Please make sure you're checking out Chad Ford's NBA Big Board. I think he's got a pretty big guest coming on in his next show. You might want to keep an eye out there on that feed. Don't want to spoil it too soon in case that's not public knowledge, but I know it and it's going to be great. So make sure you're tuning in to Chad Ford's NBA Big Board. We've got a Locked On NFL mock draft coming out very soon as well. That'll be a lot of fun ahead of the NFL draft. Please make sure you're supporting all the shows in the network that you like. It's uh, very much appreciated if you leave a rating or a review. And it really helps us out with the rankings and algorithms and all that good stuff that I don't understand at all. Uh, all right, on today's show, we are continuing our week of talking about the best season in Raptors history, which of course just happened less than a year ago. And uh, a lot of it was tied to the postseason. And the postseason, of course, is something that I documented with today's guest in our book, We the Champs. Yesterday, you heard the audiobook version of the Milwaukee Bucks chapters of the series on the podcast. And today, we are joined by my co-author on We the Champs to talk about the Bucks series. It is Alex Wong. What's up, buddy? Hey, man. Uh, 699 episodes? Yeah, dude. It's a lot. <laughs> wow. Yeah. No, that's uh, that's like Mark Maron level. <laughs> Going daily adds up. Like so many were just like, like dumbass twenty minute recaps of like Suns games and pretty unnotable. But uh, this one should be fun. And tomorrow's episode, just a little teaser, is going to be a lot of fun. So everyone should tune in for episode number seven hundred as two of our faves, Vivek and Katie, join the show. But we're here today to talk about the Buck series, Alex, which of course was in a lot of ways. Kind of the championship. I know, like, the finals happened and the Raptors won the title, and that was great. But when they won the East, that game six, I mean, like, the eruption across the city was unlike anything I've ever seen. The just sort of relief of everything, like, getting to the finals at the time, it seemed like, hey, maybe they've convinced Kawhi to stay by making it to the finals. There was all of that baked into it as well. And obviously, coming back from down 0-2 with that crazy game three made it all the more dramatic and all that stuff. And, you know, the finals were just weird and had the sort of Kevin Durant thing hanging over all of it. That's not to take anything away from it. We'll talk about that next week. But the the Bucks series, I don't know, did you feel the same? That it kind of felt like the finals, similar maybe to when the Raptors, uh, you know, made it to the conference finals back in 2016? No one ever really expected they were going to win that series and make it to the finals, but, like, winning Game 7 against the Heat was just this huge release. Did you find that with the Bucks series, Alex? Yeah, I think it was a little different just because, you know, obviously we know what happened in Game 7 against the Sixers, and the turnaround was so quick, right? Like, Kawhi 
hit, you know, the, the first game seven uh, buzzer beater game winner. And two days later, they're in Milwaukee for game one. And you didn't really have a chance to, to really soak it in. And, and at the time, the Bucks were such a dominant team, not just in the regular season, but they had rolled through the first two rounds of the playoffs. And, you know, even though I think a lot of us did have a quiet confidence about this Toronto team, especially as they had gotten better throughout the playoffs, it was like, all right, now i got to go into Milwaukee to, to figure out how to win this series. And I'm sure we'll get into it, but, I mean, like, just those first two games and losing those first two games was super um, just discouraging because you felt like that this Raptors team was different from all the other Raptors teams before it. Uh, but losing those first two games felt like, okay, here we go again. Like, this team's going to fall short again. Yeah, I think I kind of felt a little bit more at peace, maybe, than it sounds like you did with, like, winning the second round. Uh, this was still pre-title Raptors arrogance, right? So I was just like, hey, they made it to the conference finals. That's great. Everything's fine. Uh, and so I think because of, like, the, the quick turnaround, it was only one day off in between Game 7 and Game 1, and just like how good the Bucks were all season, like I was kind of expecting the Raptors to lose. I think I picked the Bucks to win in six, which uh, apparently you shouldn't do. And I, I just I was okay. I think with like a noble loss to the Bucks in like six games or something like that, which I kind of expected to be the case. And so, but obviously, once the series starts, things ramp up, and you get invested, and you uh, start, you know, having those wild emotional swings, which began in game one, pretty much uh, all condensed into one game. Raptors start off really well in game one. They go up uh, 11 after the first quarter. Kyle Lowry's just killing it. Uh, Kawhi Leonard was great early on, I think, before really tailing off in the second half. Marcus Saul, I remember, was having, like, a killer defensive first half. I think he, like, stopped Giannis on a fast break at one point, and it was like, oh, okay, maybe he can do this. And it felt really good. And then the second half kicked in, and the Raptors' offense completely sputtered out. Kyle Lowry, I, d- I didn't remember this until going back and looking at it, but Kyle Lowry was the only Raptor to hit a field goal in the fourth quarter. Did you know that? Uh, yes, because I remember, I, I do remember that stat uh, because it was talked about after. And I remember <laughs> just how terrible that fourth quarter was. You know, like you mentioned, like the team was playing so well, uh, especially in the first half, and they seemed to be sputtering in the second half. But they had gone off to such a quick start. That you felt like if they could just put together like a six-minute stretch um, there in the second half, they could really put this game away. But nobody could do anything. There's a there's a few Danny Green turnovers that I specifically remember in that fourth quarter. Um, although uh, maybe I'm mixing it up with some of the other Danny Green turnovers that he had during <laughs> the postseason. <laughs> Shouts to Danny. Uh, but um, you know the the thing I definitely remember that fourth quarter just just how frustrating it was because. Uh, and again, I mean, uh, we're looking back on it now, but at the time it was like, oh, if they squander this one and, and theoretically they have to beat the Bucks like five times because they had this game in their bag, like how are they even going to do it? And the Bucks were such a good home team that you felt like, okay, if they steal game one, then it completely changes the series. But, but, but blowing that game one uh, was going to put them in a hole. And in a way, I kind of compared it at the time to the Raptors losing game one against the Cavs the year before when they were home in the second round. And it was like, when you're playing a team that's that good, you can't squander that chance. And I know, you know, in retrospect, that all sounds dumb now because the Raptors made us all look dumb. But um, yeah, that game one, definitely, I think, obviously the main narrative was, you know, wasting that Kyle Lowry game 
Although, again, we were all fools for thinking that that was the last time Kyle was going to have a huge offensive game. Um, and the other thing, too, I, I think people maybe don't talk about is, like, Brook Lopez just had a crazy outlier game. Yeah. Yeah, he hit, I think it was 3 of 5 from 3 in the fourth quarter, which kind of blew the game open. And, yeah, it was... I mean, you kind of forget it was still like a, a one possession game until like the last minute, and then the Bucks kind of pulled away. Like even without the Raptors having any offensive juice whatsoever outside of Kyle, they were able to you know sort of hang enough defensively, and it just yeah, Brook Lopez got crazy hot, had his best game of the series, and there wasn't much they could do. But yeah, I remember feeling so just discouraged that they had wasted that Kyle game because obviously you know he was capable of that you know many times over in a series, but. The fact that he did it in a game one, like I'm sitting there like a month removed from him going scoreless against the Magic in game one and all that game one talk coming out again and seeing him drop that 30, it was so satisfying. And then I think in the fourth quarter too, we had that like insane save of a ball that was going out of bounds uh, on a really bad Danny Green pass. Shouts to Danny Green. Uh, and like it just, it felt like a perfect Kyle over everything game. And for them to squander it really felt like a lost opportunity. And yeah, I think I even wrote in the book about how it felt a lot like that Cavs game, which was just the absolute gut punch, but very clearly the difference between the 2018 Raptors and the 2019 Raptors was that they were very okay facing adversity and like weren't going to think about it for the rest of the series that they lost game one. Because if you think back to that 2018 series, they lose game one and Dwayne Casey can't stop referencing losing game one in every single post game he has throughout the rest of the series. And they end up going out in four and it was just like, yeah, but if we got in game one, ah, but it just, it never happened, obviously. Um, and then you go into game two, and this one is kind of similar, I think, to like the Sixers game three, where things kind of were same old Raptorsy a little bit, where they just looked completely outgunned from the start and didn't really have it. Um, do you remember anything of game two? This is the one that I kind of gloss over and just like, yeah, they got their asses kicked. I think the third quarter was kind of okay, and Norm had a moment, but other than that, it was uh, a really sort of uh, saddening night because it kind of felt like the death knell of the season. Yeah, you know, mostly from what I remember is just the first quarter. I remember Marcus Soul, I think, had a couple of ridiculous turnovers. And, and on one possession, I think he was trying to throw a pass into the low post and, like, hit off the backboard. And he was benched pretty early. And and, and people forget now um, that, you know, after that game two blowout loss, there was a lot of talk about whether Nick should change the starting lineup. And, and Mark was really struggling at the time. And um, that that's the lasting image of game two is, is, is just it's just all the images of Mark sitting on the bench, just being really upset at himself. You could tell he was in his head a little bit. Um, you know, it's funny because like I think game two was what maybe people think one was going to be. You know, you would expect the Raptors on a short turnaround and the Bucks at home that the Bucks were just going to clearly take game one. And maybe game two was the game that the Raptors uh, would have a chance to take. But instead, it kind of flipped. Right. Like like game one was a game that, that the Raptors could steal. And, and game two, that game was over uh, by the end of the first quarter. Yeah, it was. It, it just, they never had a shot. And Gasol, you mentioned that pass where he threw it off the bottom of the backboard and Giannis got the rebound and just went and dunked. It was like, that felt a lot like some of those really crushing LeBron dunks and stuff like that. Like almost like the uh, like the Kyrie to LeBron lob back in that game one, whatever godforsaken year that was. Uh, <laughs> and like... It just again, it felt same old, same old Raptorsy. But then in the third quarter, you have Kawhi going crazy. I think he had 15 points in the third, and then Norm really kicked it up too. And I think they won the quarter. 
Yeah, they won it by 11. And they were kind of sort of maybe within shouting distance before it kind of got blown away. But I, I remember that Norm outburst in particular, I felt really excited by because obviously we know Norm's history of destroying the Bucks. And to see him actually kind of do something for the first time since the Magic series was uh, like at least a sign of life that you hadn't really seen from really any of the reserves outside of Surge in Game 7 and a couple of the games against the Sixers. Like the reserves were so unreliable and for that to happen in a game where yeah like they were out of it but to to think that hey if he could replicate this and everyone else doesn't play like shit in the next game then maybe they can do it so that was kind of my lasting impression of that game we'll continue talking about the series against the bucks in just a second but first i want to tell you about my bookie sports have come to a screeching halt with basketball benched and pitchers off the mound but our friends at my bookie aren't going to let that get you down stay sane and stay entertained with access to your favorite games like black jack roulette slots war and more it doesn't matter whether you're out on the front lines or quarantined at home the fun doesn't have to come to an end with my bookie video poker not your thing but still need a fix they've got you covered with a host of live casino dealers online that's right they have professional dealers at the their tables live on site 24 7 your favorite squad sideline because of the pandemic don't even sweat it my bookie is partnered with some of the leading esports brands to bring you wagers on virtual action straight from the court in nba 2k20 plus if you're a fan of politics you can always make bets on the shifting odds on political bets as well you can trust the industry leaders in times like these they're reliable upright and best of all they pay fast when you win visit mybookie.ag and use the promo code locked on nba for 150 percent bonus on your first casino deposit that's promo code locked on nba to receive 150 percent cash bonus on your first deposit and you can claim those extra funds all the way up to 750 bucks use promo code locked on nba to activate the offer that's promo code locked on nba at mybookie.ag you spin you win and you get paid the nba playoffs are right around the corner and locked on nba is here daily to keep you caught up with all the late season drama every monday jackson gatlin rounds up the three biggest stories around the league helping to break down the nba playoffs Mark your calendars to listen to Locked On NBA every Monday to be up to date. Locked On NBA, available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. All right, Alex, so we the series goes back to Toronto for Game 3, which to me, this is, if not the most memorable, like a top two or three memorable game from the postseason run, I guess like Game 6 against Warriors and Game 7 against the Sixers are the other contenders, but this one had just so much baked into it and the the swings of emotion and just like the dread that I think a lot of people felt at certain points throughout this game, especially in the fourth quarter, was like at the highest level, I think, maybe outside of losing Game 3 against the Sixers and Pascal Siakam getting injured, tripping Joel Embiid. Like it was just... There's a lot of emotion tied up in this one, and obviously it's the first home game after the buzzer beater as well, so there's that little sort of latent excitement throughout the city too. What are your, what are you, like, I don't remember anything from this game in the first three quarters. I only remember overtime and the, like, the last six or so minutes after Kyle fouls out, and I'm, I'm just, like, certain that they're going to lose. Um, what are your sort of recollections of, of game three against the Bucks? Yeah, you know, in retrospect, you know, Kyle fouling out, and I believe Norm fouled out later on as well. Um, and, you know, looking back on it, it's remarkable that the Raptors won that game. It doesn't um, make any sense. 
<laughs> it, it was ridiculous. I mean, Kawhi had a huge performance, and, and obviously he was. I think this was around the time where you started really noticing that he was just limping on the court at all times, and, and he wasn't maybe um, as comfortable as he wanted to be. Like he would dunk the ball, or he would get an and one, and, and sometimes there would be certain possessions where you would, you know, he even himself it felt like was was kind of questioning whether uh, his legs were okay. Like like any time that he landed. But, you know, a lot of specific moments that I remember, um, there was a Chris Middleton three-pointer that I believe would have either tied the game or put them ahead late um, that that he missed, uh, that that was in transition. And I think about that a lot because when you talk about how these series and how um, a playoff run can swing, uh, that was one of the biggest swing moments for me for, for the Raptors season because, you know, I, I don't think that was necessarily the best look for Middleton, but it's definitely a shot that he could make. And if he makes that shot, the Raptors go down 3-0 and the season is effectively over. And we're not talking about any of this. Um, so that was one moment. The other moment for me is that, you know, the Raptors were trailing at, at one point in overtime as well. And, and Marcus Gasol hit a huge three from the top of the key. And the thing I remember too is just Mark having a huge bounce back game. Uh, I think there was a lot of people who questioned whether he could get out of that funk after his game two performance and you know he's a veteran he's been in the playoffs before he's been to the conference finals before but you know when a player gets in his head you don't know if he's going to be able to get out of it you know especially in such a short turnaround in a playoff series but mark did and he went on to to be just incredible for the rest of that series and also uh especially in the finals as well so those are the two big moments i remember aside from obviously Kawhi's performance yeah, so this was the game you mentioned when we were talking about game two that after game two there was like a lot of speculation about lineup changes. And even Nurse said the day before game three, yeah, we're probably going to look at some lineup changes. And I think everybody was sitting there waiting before the game to see like the, the Raptors.com, like the Raptors Twitter graphic come out with like the change starting five. And it ended up not changing at all. They did change up some rotation stuff and they changed up the matchups most importantly. But they stuck with Gasol, and I think that was sort of, to me, a real sort of example of the difference between Nick Nurse and Dwayne Casey. Like, you think to some of those series where things got dire for the Raptors against, like, the Cavs, and Dwayne Casey was rolling out, like, Bismack, Biombo, Jonas Valanciunas starting front courts to just not get killed by Tristan Thompson on the glass. And, like, just changing things up outside of starting Patrick Patterson. I think he even did that. Like, he relented into that at one point, but... Like, he would change things up so quickly when things weren't working. Whereas Nurse, I think, kind of realized, like, look at our starting five. It's a perfectly constructed starting five. It's been beating the piss out of everybody all postseason long and whenever it played together in the regular season. Like, if we're going to go down, we're going to go down with Marcus Gasol as our center, the guy who, like is single-handedly responsible for the defense becoming this, like, morphing, just, like, call-the-defense-on-the-fly machine. And he he stuck with it, and Gasol actually decided to, like, take his open threes, which was encouraging and nice, and, and that was great. And this was also the game where Kawhi took over the, the Giannis assignment on defense full-time, and he held Giannis to 5 of 16 from the field. And it was like, oh, okay, that, that that's interesting. And, you know, it was sort of the thing I think at that point where it's like okay maybe they can't keep this up the entire series but maybe he can maybe this is just what he's going to do to Giannis defensively and so like those changes were huge and again I think really sort of spoke to 
Nick Nurse's advantage over Dwayne Casey and also over Mike Budenholzer, who later in the series would have some chances to change things up too and never did. Um, the, I, I just, I, I went back and looked at my notes and f- when Kyle fouls out with like six twelve left, I just wrote, "Welp, they're fucked. <laughs> <laughs> I was certain because Fred Van Vliet came in and Fred had hit like five shots since the magic series. And I was just so certain that he wasn't going to be able to, to run the offense efficiently the way Kyle did. I mean, the, the play before Kyle fouled out, he subbed in with five fouls and like set up a three for Norm Powell like that just like a classic smart Kyle pass and read and then set up a three and it was like oh yeah th- th- that's why you bring him in and risk it with five fouls and then Fred hit one three he, he didn't really I mean he didn't have his child until the next game so he still <laughs> had a rough shooting night and Danny Green had a rough night too but they both hit threes late in the game that were just like huge I mean Green went from oh Oh, he was 0 of 8 from the field and then it won 3 in overtime. And it was like, yeah, that's the best 1 of 9 I've ever seen. The most crucial 1 of 9 you'll ever see anybody have. Um, because they were so just like trying to scrape together something down the stretch too. Um, and, and yeah, it was just that the, the swings in that game, especially when Powell fouled out, were just enormous. And then Gasol was on 5 fouls as well. And I remember being panicked. For the entirety of overtime, as Gasol was on five fouls, just like if he fouls out, they're absolutely toast. Like they can't have a third guy foul out here. And they did such a good job, I think, of working around him having five fouls. Like Fred and Danny were playing like at the rim to keep Gasol from contesting shots and like doing a damn good job of it, too. It was uh, it was pretty crazy, man. And then you also had in this game Siakam missing those free throws, too, that could have sealed it late. He misses both. That leads to the Middleton bucket to send it to overtime after Fred blocks him originally and then Middleton gets the rebound. I mean, can you remember a game where your emotions were this toyed with by the Raptors ever? No. This this is honestly one of the wildest games. And this is a game that probably deserves its own podcast uh, just, just because of all the sequences and, and obviously how much it meant. And I think you made a really good point about Nick. Uh, compared to Dwayne. Uh, I think every time the going got tough in the playoffs, uh, the one thing that Dwayne would always look to do was to make a lineup change. And, and I think his lineup changes always had a trickle-down effect of not only impacting the starting lineup, but, but just affecting every player in the rotation. Versus Nick, you know, they're facing obviously a crisis point down 2-0 in the conference finals. And the thing that Nick thinks about is not changing the lineup but how can i put my players in a a better position um to succeed and and you know switching the defensive strategy you know having Kawhi on Giannis and obviously mark um you know played a huge part too in containing Giannis um in that series uh, i think really does illustrate the difference between nick and Dwayne. whereas nick knows that there are different ways um to use the same lineup and, and to maximize the talent that's on the floor Whereas Dwayne was really always very quick to, to just try to swap in another player, um, just just to make a change for the sake of making it and not really giving his team an advantage. But um, yeah, like even you mentioning like Pascal missing his free throws, like I rewatched this game I, I think like a week and a half ago, and I already forgot about that detail as well. Because there's just so <laughs> many things that happen um, in in this series, and when we were watching it in real time, it's it's funny you mentioned like you writing in the notes after Kyle fouled out. I think the tension was just way too high in that building, uh, in, in that game, uh, because as much as much as like you you mentioned that hey you would have been okay with them like you know losing uh, to the Bucks maybe in a hard fought series, um, for me it was like man now that they're here now that there's four teams left 
And we knew that in the Western Conference, you know, the Warriors were probably going to beat the Blazers, and they did. They swept them, and they were without KD. Suddenly, it was like, okay, like, you could actually let yourself think about the possibility of the Raptors actually winning it all. Mm. Um, I I know it was hard at the time, especially because they were down 2-0. But, you know, this wasn't like 2016 against LeBron and the Cavs. Um, This... This was a realistic chance, and you know they had Kawhi Leonard, and, and they had this you know formidable starting five, and they had this top eight that could compete with anyone. And I think that was all the emotions in that game of you know let's get this game, let's get back in the series because you know you don't want to let this chance slip away, especially with Kawhi's free agency hanging in. The NBA playoffs are right around the corner, and Locked On NBA is here daily to keep you caught up with all the late-season drama. Every Monday, Jackson Gatlin rounds up the three biggest stories around the league, helping to break down the NBA playoffs. Mark your calendars to listen to Locked On NBA every Monday to be up-to-date. Locked On NBA, available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Yeah, definitely. Also, one last note on Game 3. Shouts to Jody Meeks for his 42 seconds of play. Uh, <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> that was, I think that was like the end of the third quarter, and they were just like trying to buy a section of game with some guys on the bench, and it was just like, yeah, okay, we're doing the Jody Meeks thing. All right. And he, he was only a minus two. That's, so. that's, that's, how, that's, how you, that's how you knew Jeremy Lin was in the doghouse. Right? <laughs> he couldn't even get those 42 seconds. That's all I'm saying, man. I'm not trying to accuse Nick of racism or anything. <laughs> <laughs> well, Jeremy Lin did get to play in the next game. He played two minutes and eight seconds of garbage time as garbage the Raptors, time. Uh, time, yeah. yeah, as the Raptors beat the piss out of the Bucks in Game Four. Um, this was the one that I, I, this was before this game. Serge was talking about sort of his experience back when the Thunder came back against the Spurs, whatever it was, 2014 or whatever year it was, 2012, uh, from down 0-2 to win the series in six. And, like, it was all being played up as this is going to be the most difficult game of the series. Winning the the second one to tie it at two is borderline impossible. Like, it's really, really tough. And they just made it look so easy. And it was because they actually got, like, bench production in this game. They got 48 combined points from Powell, Van Vliet, and Ibaka. This is when Van Vliet started his just insane heater. Uh, He went 5 of 6 and 3 of 3 from deep. Powell led the team in shot attempts. I remember he got so hot in the third quarter that at the end of the third, he had like a heat check three from the logo that I was like fully on board with. <laughs> so I was just like, yeah, well, well, why not? Well, just just do it. See what you got. Um, and then Abaka had a great game too. And it was all very well timed because this was the game where uh, Kawhi dunked on Giannis so hard that uh, he A, looked like he shit himself and B, messed up his knee and it was like very apparent from then on that he was never going to be 100% again but this was kind of the game where they coalesced for the first time really since maybe the first round but even then there were guys who weren't really pulling their weight early on this was like the first complete team performance they had basically in the entire playoffs what do you remember of game four yeah you know I think like you mentioned that was the first you know maybe that was the best team performance uh, since that Magic series in the first round. And again, you talk about just how thin the margins are when you get to the conference finals. The Raptors would not have won that game and would not have won that series if those guys like Norm, like Fred and Serge stepped up. You know, they needed that game. And that was the game they needed to pick up Kawhi after he played all those minutes in game three. And again, um, I-, I feel like 
uh, game four and game three kind of played out maybe uh, in reverse of, of what people would usually expect. Because, you know, a 2-0 series, when you're down 2-0, you go back home. You know, usually you would expect the home team to get game three, and then game four is the real battle. But, you know, again, it, it switched, right? Like, game three was re- the real battle, and game four was just a blowout. You know, I remember Serge dunking and making his angry, mean mug face. And that was just a really, I think it was a sigh of relief, right? Like, like to even the series, and, and now you had questions about the Bucks because I think at that point you started to have questions about Eric Bledsoe. And you started to wonder whether, you know, Giannis was now being at least contained. So who else was going to step up? So um, they even the series and obviously the Bucks still had home court advantage. But that was a real sigh of relief to say, okay, now the series is reset. And they actually didn't really have to fight that hard to get this one. And, you know, now now they really had a chance. Oh, man, Eric Bledsoe really earning his championship ring in this one. Uh, two of seven <laughs> in 20 minutes got benched. Malcolm Brogdon also missed shots in this one, which never happened in the playoffs because he was their second best player. Um, yeah, this was also like the the only good, like the only really good Chris Middleton game, and the Raptors survived it, which was nice. Um, but yeah, and also shout out to Nikola Mirotic as well. God, I forgot how how much easier he made things too. <laughs> it's like so yeah, many re- guys remember to thank. He was the, remember, he was the guy that uh, the Raptors they wanted the Raptors to get at the trade deadline. Yeah, and I was like despondent when the Bucks got him for like four second rounders. And this was right before the Raptors traded for Gasol. And then, you know, getting Gasol made me not so sad anymore. But, yeah, that was a weird afternoon. Because, like, you could sense the arms race was definitely there. I mean, the Sixers had just done the Harris trade after doing the Butler trade earlier. Um, and it was just like, well, we got to do something. And then the Gasol thing comes down and it's like, holy shit. By the way, Gasol, probably his second consecutive best game as a Raptor in game four. Uh, he had 17 points. He, where, how did he, how did he shoot? Yeah, he was six of 11. He had three threes. He had seven assists. Like this was like peak Gasol. These two games were incredible. They were super fun. Um, and then it goes back to game five in Milwaukee. And look, I, I was kind of in the boat. All right, just get it to game seven and maybe you can steal it. I was kind of expecting a loss in game five. And then this was the game that, like really dispelled any lingering notions that the Raptors were like some coward playoff team, like just a badass performance, mostly from Kawhi, poor Brooke Lopez and his head top and the threes that he had launched over top of it. But um, I don't know. What do you remember game five? Cause I just, it was such a, such a thrilling game to watch them come back from down. I think 12 in the third quarter, their offense was kind of sputtering and then, and then they just kind of like turned it on and their defense hit that level that we saw in games during the regular season against like the Celtics early on the game with the double block and like some Sixers games and some other ones where they just had one of those sort of five to six minute stretches of defense where they're like, Nope, you're not scoring on us. And we're going to turn all of these misses into offense. And that's what they did. And it was just, I don't know. It was the most like professional ass performance. I think I can recall from a Raptors team in the postseason. Yeah, no, this, this was, this was definitely the, the new Raptors. I think I remember three things from that game. And, you know, you, you talked about, you know, favorite games from the playoffs. You know, for me, this was my favorite game um, of this series. I think people will, will pick game six just because of what it meant and the Raptors going to the finals. But this was the most satisfying win. You know, the, the first thing I remember was the first half was just a slog. Uh, I believe it was a really low um, scoring game or the Raptors were just really struggling, but somehow they were still in it. Uh, because of their defense and it felt like you know if you could just hang on if you could stay in this game and just keep 
the deficit, you know, within a reasonable margin that, you know, maybe in the fourth quarter because you have Kawhi Leonard that, that it'll work. And, and it did. And that's the second thing I remember is Kawhi just taking over in that fourth quarter. Um, you know, any comparisons that you had of Kawhi being like this modern day Michael Jordan during the playoff run, I, I think this is the game that, that really proved, proved that because he just took over uh, in the fourth quarter. And the Raptors have been on the opposite end of that so many times going up against LeBron. Now now they had their own LeBron in, in the fourth quarter. And it was just thrilling to watch. And like all those shots over Brooke Lopez. And also there was one possession I remember when he missed a shot and he got his own offensive rebound. And I, and it, I think it was kind of like an innocuous play. It wasn't anything flashy. But I was just like, man, this guy is just owning the entire game right now. Like in every facet. And it was just remarkable to watch. And the last thing, of course, Fred outscored the Bucks bench by himself. Yeah. <laughs> Seven of nine from three. Just, God, Fred Fred Jr. forever. Uh, magical baby. <laughs> um, yeah, this Kawhi game, that fourth quarter from Kawhi, I think there were three stretches of the playoffs in particular. And maybe four if you count game one against the Sixers where he had 45. But that was more of just like a full game dominance type of thing. I think it was this game in the fourth quarter. I think it was the last two minutes of game six, which we'll get to. And I think it was the closing stretch of game five in Toronto of the finals when it seemed like he was going to win the damn thing by himself. Like those were the moments where it was just, it felt like what it must have been like to watch LeBron destroy the Raptors, right? Like it was just like, holy, like how is a person this good at basketball? And how do they have this much control over the game on both ends of the floor? And it was just, it was remarkable to watch. He was really good at basketball. And those were some of the best examples of it. He, that 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 fourth quarter was just something else, man. He was. He, and and yeah. there's nothing more, thr- and there's nothing more satisfying than doing it on the road too. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. This was also a game where he had uh, a total of nine assists too, a playoff career high. Like they were pretty much loading up on him for the first three quarters. And it wasn't really till the fourth when he completely exploded. I think he had 15 in the fourth. Um, but like for the most part, he was just setting dudes up. And I believe the number is he, uh, either scored or assisted 62 of the points the Raptors scored out of the 105 and all of the assists he had were on, on, on threes. And I think a lot of them were Fred threes. Um, like he just, he, he was like hitting that level of playmaking too, which I think is kind of more carried over this season as more of a regular thing that he has quite often. But, uh, it was, uh, pretty awesome to see him like have that kind of control, of just not just the offense, but just like everyone else on the floor too, like able to set guys up. It was something we hadn't really seen a whole lot of. Um, and then we go to game six, which you mentioned favorite games of the play. This is my favorite game in Raptors history. I think uh, I, this is the thing I wrote my personal thing about my grandfather after, after they won game six. This is uh, the game where my parents came downtown to watch, even though they like haven't been to a bar since 1984. Uh, <laughs> and they, <laughs> They and they 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 ended up watching the the end of the game in the square and everything and it just I don't know this was the game that I went my dad gave me a twenty before I went into the game and he was like all right uh, if they win go buy yourself a drink and this was the game where I went and and ordered a pitcher when I got to the Furkanon Harbor after they won and recorded like a really sort of meandering directionless <laughs> emotional solo podcast because no one else wanted to come on because everyone else wanted to go party and walk the streets. And then I went to the bar, ordered a pitcher, and just drank straight from the pitcher. That that was just, like, the best night ever. It kicked so much ass. And I, like, and the game itself was, 
it, it was everything that you wanted it to be too. Like that fourth, that third and fourth quarter with Kawhi just deciding in the in the late stages of the third, okay, I'm taking this over. I'm going to get every rebound. I'm going to uh, either score or assist on the final 10 points of the quarter, get us to within five. It just, again, it's insane that a dude who could do that played for the team that I like. <laughs> it's just, it's wild. What, what were your recollections of game six? Yeah, you know, uh, the, the, the one thing I do remember for sure is that last two, three minutes in the third quarter when the Raptors were down 15 and they just couldn't get anything going all game. And, and it felt like this was going to go back to a game seven. And Kawhi just took over. Um, on both ends of the floor, you know, defensive rebounds, offensive rebounds, steals, blocks, scoring, assisting. Like, I think there was like an eight, nine possession stretch where like he was just involved in absolutely everything on both ends of the floor. And, you know, um, I don't have the stats, but he had a monster rebounding game in this one, right? Yeah, he had 17 boards. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Like he, he just did everything. And it was remarkable. Like if you pair his game five, fourth quarter performance with what he did in the second half in game six. And you think about the fact that he did this while he was not at his physical peak. Like it, it was remarkable. Like even 70% or 80% of Kawhi was still enough to carry this team past the finish line. Uh, and depending on how much you respect um, last year's Bucks team, like he did it against a really, really good Bucks team, a Bucks team that when they were up 2-0 in the Eastern conference finals, People were talking about them as one of the historically best teams because statistically they were, right? Regular season and playoffs, they're, uh, they were beating teams up and their point differential and their net ratings were up there with the top teams of all time. And, you know, just to, just to put a bow on that in game six for Kawhi to, to kind of wrap up this 2-0 comeback and, and win four in a row and carry the Raptors to the finish line, that will always be memorable. The most memorable thing for me was after they won – and they were presented with the trophy in the arena, and these huge Lowry chants just broke out yeah. in the arena for Kyle. And I'll never forget that because you know it just gave me gave me chills just knowing obviously how much Kyle uh, means to this city and how much he's done for the franchise. But also at that moment, I was like, man, you know, we let all these years pass without ever giving Kyle those type of chants. Like, how did those chants not break out like every five games? when he's taking like four charges in the fourth quarter in the middle of February, like to beat the Charlotte Hornets. Like I I feel like him getting that appreciation from the fans was just really special. And obviously this was the game that sent the Raptors to the finals. And it was just ridiculous to be in that building to to see all that unfold and to say, man, after all these years of watching the Raptors and after the last five, six years of watching them in the playoffs, like they made it, they made the finals, and now it was really a chance to think about, hey, like they really have a chance to win this now. Yeah, that that post game is like with Ernie Johnson giving out the trophy is one of my favorite videos to just go back and watch because you have Kyle just like beaming, the smile's insane. You have Masai being like, "We're not satisfied. We want to win. We're gonna win in Toronto," and it was just like, it, just like wrestling shit from Masai, <laughs> just like crowd in his hand. And yeah, it was just, it was such a relief and like the excitement of the, of the finals hadn't even really kicked in to me yet. It was just like they, they climbed the mountain to get to like getting to the finals. I think, you know, was 
a reasonable goal for this team, especially after they traded for Kawhi. And obviously the way the Warriors season played out and the injuries and stuff, it made winning the title more likely. I don't think they beat the Warriors if, if they're fully healthy, but whatever, that's fine. Luck happens all the time. But to me, like my my idea of a successful season going into it was, all right, make the finals. If you lose to the Warriors, fine. But if you make the finals, that is just like absolutely, it vindicates the trade tenfold. It It is entirely... You know, you've you've backed up your reasoning for getting rid of Dwayne Casey and bringing in Nick Nurse. Like all of it becomes successful if they make the finals for sure. Even like making it to the conference finals, I was probably okay with because I was captain. It's fine, but um, making it to the finals like really was the the symbol of a successful season. And it's not often that you actually like reach your potential and reach your ceiling as a team, right? Like we see it all the time. Teams flame out early on. And for them to do it in like this one-off season where it, nothing was certain for the future and they put all their chips on the table with the Gasol trade at the deadline as well. It just, it was uh, like, I think we're going to look back and look at the Raptors title run. And maybe we're we're too close to it to really have a good sense of this, but it really is like, one of the tidiest, most like poetic seasons you could possibly write. Just the way everything broke, the way the playoffs broke down. You had the crazy moments against the Sixers. You had the Bucks series. Like everything, even down to like Jonas Valanciunas never getting to play again after getting hurt against the Warriors and then not getting to play, getting traded the day he was supposed to return for Gasol, the guy who tied everything together. It just, there, it was such a like clean narrative of a season and you rarely get that, right? Like you rarely have something like that that comes together in such a perfect, tidy way. But it did, and we're damn lucky to have seen it because it was unlike anything I think we'll ever see again. And even if they go and win like another title down the line sometime, there's very little possibility it's going to be in this sort of the same mold as this team because very few teams, if any, in history have gone this route where it's like, let's trade for a guy for one year and just see what happens. And it just it worked out perfectly. Because Masai is a genius, I guess. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> any uh, closing thoughts on the Bucks series? Yeah, you know, I, I think more on, on what you just said is it, a really good point. Because, you know, I think championship runs, you know, if you're, if you're rooting for your team, they're all special to you, right? Like, like, it doesn't matter if your team doesn't have a Game 7 buzzer beater shot that bounces four times. Or, or, you know, the type of other performances that Kawhi put together. But I, I do think when, when we step back from this in like 5, 10, 15 years, that objectively this Raptors playoff run is one of the most memorable of the last 10, 20 years. Um, like you talked about, just the circumstances of trading for Kawhi and really going all in for what did end up being a one-year thing and, and getting Marcus Gasol to really complete the puzzle at the trade deadline and then not even, and then forget about all that, just the iconic playoff moments, right? Like, like I think for any other team, just that game seven shot would have been enough um, to, to, to be a memorable playoff run for a lifetime. But then you add in this bug series, which I feel like as we talk about it more, it just seems more and more outlandish <laughs> that the Raptors actually won those four straight games. Um, and obviously I know you're going to talk about, uh, the finals uh, on your next podcast, but um, the finals as well, right? Like like the way that they won three games in Oracle and the one the way they closed it out in Game Six, like everything was just was just perfect. And you know, specifically to the Bucks series, I, I really think just you know even talking about it and revisiting it with you now, um, 
it's just so remarkable and I'm still I still can't believe that the Raptors really came back and, and won those four straight games in that fashion. Thank you, Eric Bledsoe. Thank you, Nikola Miritich. Thank you, Mike <laughs> Budenholzer, for uh, adhering to your minutes limits for Giannis. Uh, really, really did us a solid with that one. You're a wonderful man. Give him coach of the year. Fuck it. Uh, <laughs> and people forget, Bud, Bud was the first person they interviewed for the job before the season started. Yeah. When they yeah. fired Doink. Yeah, he was. Uh, glad that didn't transpire. Uh, <laughs> just, and then him like earlier this season when the Raptors played the Bucks again and was like, yeah, no, we we don't, we're not really gonna like you know screw around with what we're gonna do in this game or you know we play the way we play, we don't really change it up. I'm like, yes, bud, I know. Uh, that's why I love you. Uh, <laughs> thank you again. Um, all right, man. I think we could probably leave it there. This was fun. The Bucks series was fun. I'm sure as quarantine carries on, we'll probably see TSN re-air it about 7,000 times as they run out of things to re-air. Uh, there's only so many games from the Sam Mitchell Coach of the Year season they can go and re-air, I guess. Uh, so I'm sure they'll come back around it, uh, back around to it in, in good time. Alex, where can people check out your work? Do you have anything you'd like to plug right now? Uh, no, not really, man. I'm just, uh, I'm just plugging away, you know, working on, on different things, um, like all other freelancers and creatives right now. Um, just trying to keep busy while sports is interrupted. Um, so, you know, I did recently, uh, start a new personal podcast called Stephen LeBron radio. I'm going to do a lot of exciting stuff. Going to have you on, um, and revisit some, some old Raptors seasons as well. So, you know, if anyone wants to check that out, it's uh, Stephen LeBron radio. You can find it on you know itunes spotify and all other networks um right now i'm sticking to a schedule of dropping episodes uh daily every monday to friday to kind of give myself a routine and, and honestly selfishly to have some social interaction uh with people to talk about sports life and other things so yeah if there's one thing i want to plug you know go check that out and um yeah no it's uh it was it was fun uh it was fun revisiting this series with you sean um you know it's it's it i think it'll always be fun revisiting uh, the championship run like it'll never get old no absolutely not that's the, the the fun perk of winning a championship is that shit lasts forever um thanks for coming on man go listen to steven lebron radio and uh you can find me at woodley sean you can subscribe to rate and review wherever you get your podcast it's very much appreciated tell a friend if you have someone who's maybe complaining in the dms about how bored they are suggest this podcast and they can uh, get a, a listen to all of the old raptors content that we're going through this year this week sorry Next week, we're going to dive into the 2013-14 season, I think, because that is personally one of, if not my favorite regular seasons of all time, the year where they got good and turned things around with the Rudy Gay trade. So we'll dive into that next week. But um, tomorrow, we're going to finish off the talk of the championship season with Vivek Jacob and Katie Heindel. We're going to do trivia about the championship season with the two of them. That's going to be fun. We'll go on tangents. It'll be great. So stay tuned for that on Friday. And until then, have a great day, everybody. We'll talk to you on Friday with another episode of Locked on Raptors. Hey, Prime members. You can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.